0: I can recall uh, you know, being, being in school and I, I attended a school district, a little rural sc- school district north of Ada called BING, B-Y-N-G, and we, we were kind of known as a school that started the school year early, but that meant we got out before everyone else, and usually we were out of, of class by the second week of May, and so our summer always began earlier than uh, the rest of the schools in Pontotoc County, and uh, there were always important things to me about summer. First and foremost, playing baseball, swimming pool, Um, we we always had a summer school program at at Bing where, you know, you could go swim in the school pool and, and you could... Uh, exercise in the gym and um, you you could do all those things in the morning to kind of get ready then for baseball practice and games during the week and that type of thing but as I got older another very important part of summer was music any anybody with me there you know you you enjoyed all the the new uh, albums that would be coming out for the summer. So I did a little research and I've, I've made a list here and I've, I tried to cover uh, several uh, decades. I don't have anything here from the 90s. So if you were really into music in the 90s, I apologize. I, that may say something about the 90s, I don't know but here here are some songs that are particularly about summer and and so if you remember these songs be sure and and kind of raise your hand and acknowledge and i'm just going to begin with the earliest and kind of work work my way through 1958 ella fitzgerald summertime no really raise your hand we want to see who all remembers 1958, I, I think that was from Porgy and Bess, is that, is that correct, I, I think it was a, a, f- a famous song. Right. The 60s, 1966, The Lovin' Spoonful, Summer in the City. Oh man, yeah, we all got our hands up on that one. Kind of jam on that one, you know. 1970, and th- this guy, I, I need to do some more research. He had to be a one-hit wonder. Anybody remember Mungo Jerry? In the summertime. Google it up. This, this guy had sideburns. I mean, the, the biggest sideburns I've ever seen in my life. I mean, he, he was into his life in, in music. Now, now probably this would have to be the number one summer song of, of all time if you were still in school, but Alice Cooper, 1972, school's out for the summer. Oh, come on! I mean, yeah, okay, all right. Also from 1972, and and my my dad was a high school baseball coach, and and so part of summer for us when when we were younger, I was still grade school, middle school in those years, and. I mean, first thing in the morning after breakfast, we were headed to the Ball Diamond, and, and Dad was working on the field and getting ready for practice. And so up in the press box, he had his little green transistor radio, and he would turn on the PA system. And so I kind of grew up with all this early 70s stuff. Summer Breeze by Sills and Croft. That's a, that's a classic uh, summer song. Now, now we're moving into the 70s. Olivia Newton-John, I, I used to, now this was before Lori, but I, I, had, I had a life-size poster of Olivia Newton-John in my bedroom. To be honest, I still can't believe my mother allowed it. But I mean, it was literally from my floor up to the ceiling Really, it was larger than life, and I always told everybody her name was really Olivia Newton-Johns. <laughs> Greece, her and John Travolta, you know, Summer Nights. We've all probably crooned to that one a little bit. Don Henley, 1984, uh, The Boys of Summer was a big hit. And then the most recent one that, that I could kind of come up with, Kid Rock in 2008, uh, all, all Summer Long. Uh, some, of you might, some of you who are younger might remember Kid Rock, I, I don't know, but anyway. Well, it's, it's been announced that, that this summer, uh, I'm going to be preaching through uh, Psalms, whoops. Somehow my PowerPoint evidently didn't, it's on there somewhere, Kim, I must have put it on the date, we don't need PowerPoint, we can still go to heaven without, without PowerPoint. But I'd, I'd like to suggest, for at, at least on Sunday mornings, our, our big summer hits this summer will be from the book of Psalms. Uh, one Old Testament scholar refers to the book of Psalms as Israel's hymnal. I, I kind of like that. Oh, there it is. Uh, and so we're going to spend the summer in the Psalms, at least a few of the Psalms, and, and again, I appreciate all of you who made suggestions, and there are only so many Sundays in the summer, so I'm not gonna to get to cover all the, the ones that have been uh, suggested, but we'll at least uh, eventually maybe get through uh, some of those. But why, why wouldn't we study the Psalms? I mean, that, I think that's a good question to ask. This, this collection of, of hymns, and, and many, many are actually uh, prayers, They they are kind of put together in this hymnal again, if you will, and they illustrate hearts that are hungry for God. And I mentioned in our Bible class this morning that that the Psalms can really give us language that we can use to approach God and even, even encounter God, really when we're in any circumstance that we might find ourselves in this life. If you're in a joyful mood, there are psalms for that. If if you're a little discouraged, there are psalms for that mood. If, If you're questioning, if you're full of doubts, perhaps if you're angry with God, there are psalms for that. The Psalms are quoted in the New Testament more than any other uh, Old Testament uh, book. But again, they all give us this one purpose, words that we can use to approach God. And so the Psalms have this enduring quality. So not only could the book of Psalms have been Israel's Hymnal, ancient Israel's hymnal, it can be ours today as well. And I'm always encouraged when we sing Scripture. And many of the Psalms uh, that we find in this great Old Testament book have been made into hymns and devotional songs that we can sing uh, today. And, And so anytime we sing a psalm, we are singing Scripture. Singing God's Word. And so we begin this morning with Psalm 1. Uh, Walter Brueggemann in his little book on the Psalms says that Psalm 1 is intentionally at the beginning of the hymnal as a prologue to set the tone for the entire collection of Psalms. And so Brueggemann really gives significance to this very first psalm that we read. And it is Psalm 1 intentionally. And so just just that fact, just that point that Brueggemann makes, I, I, I think should give us reason, even pause, to spend some time here in Psalm 1. And so that's how we'll begin our summer in the Psalms uh, over the next several weeks. I've already read Psalm 1, but if you haven't turned back to it, go ahead and and turn back to Psalm 1. And I've chosen to divide this psalm into uh, three sections. I think you'll see this uh, pretty easily. I've titled this sermon uh, The Two Ways. But in verses 1 through 3, we find the way of the righteous... So, the first three verses describe, if you will, the person who is righteous. And the psalm begins by saying this type of person is blessed. Now, the word blessed is not only an important word in the Old Testament, it's also a very important word in the New Testament, normally when we think of the word blessed in the New Testament, we think beatitudes. And we think think Matthew chapter 5, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. So, so really, anytime you, you see a verse, begin uh, with, the, with the word blessed, it's it's a beatitude. So it's important to understand what it means to be blessed. Now, an, an, a number of English translations. Choose the word happy for both the Hebrew word and uh, the Greek word. And, and that's, that's okay. That's okay as as long as you understand that the happiness or the blessedness is not uh, some superficial emotion that depends upon circumstances. You know, n- normally we are. Happy when circumstances are favorable toward us. Right? I mean, something good is happening to us uh, if we are experiencing joy, uh, if we are expressing a happy mood. It's, it's because circumstances are in our favor. Our favorite team wins, and so. We're happy. Our favorite team loses. Maybe we're sad. Jet has this little book that talks about being happy and sad. And he can put on his happy face. And then when he reads the part about being sad, he puts on his sad face. Well, this particular word uh, emphasizes regardless of the circumstance, we, we can still be joyful. And, and so it's an, it's an inward emotion that comes from being in a relationship with God. And, and to be in a relationship with God is to be in His favor. And so I, I would suggest, that at a, on a very simple level, to be blessed is to be the recipient of divine favor. And the Psalms begin by describing the type of person who is in relationship with God. And and because because I am in that relationship, even when the Cubs beat the Cardinals, I can still be happy. We've, We've won 11 championships since 1908. You have only won one, Greg Mays, you know. And, and, and so this, this idea, again, of, of being blessed, it's, it's deeper than just a, a superficial emotion that we might uh, feel when things are favorable toward us. And so it's a, it's a persistent kind of joy that comes from being in a relationship with God. Well, verse 1 continues by describing some things that this blessed person does not do. And so the opening verse contains what we might call three triads, walk, stand, sit, step, way, company, and wicked, sinners, and mockers. And so these three triads suggest three degrees of separation from God. You you seem to see a progression here. The verbs tend to intensify. You know, you you go from uh, walking to standing and finally sitting in the company of of sinners or mockers, which kind of suggests a a settled state. And, And yet, the person who is in a right relationship with God. The person who is blessed does not take up company, does not take up a permanent residence with people who are uh, wicked. Again, this this progression, you know, before you know it, we're going to see an illustration of this at the conclusion of this lesson this morning. Uh, Before you know it, you're not only believing the way of the wicked but you're behaving and then eventually belonging to the wicked. The world just becomes a part of who you are. So we come uh, to verse 2. And the writer moves from uh, kind of a, a, a negative description of what the blessed person does not do to what the blessed or the righteous person does do. And that person delights in the law of the Lord. And, and that person meditates on God's law day and night. Now let's, let's unpack uh, several of the, the key words here in verse 2. To take delight in something is to find pleasure in something. And then becomes a, a desire But because it is pleasurable, because you do delight uh, in it. Uh, You you begin to to desire it. It's it's something that you want to experience on a regular basis, and it becomes something that you uh, value. It occupies your mind. One one word study even suggests that it becomes your purpose. Now, Now think about that for just a minute. You know, to to delight in the law of God is to find it so pleasurable that we begin to desire it. And and it becomes our our purpose, uh, our our reason for living, the law of the Lord. But what does the writer mean by that? It's interesting, this, this expression The law of the Lord is only found two other times in the entire collection of psalms. It's found in uh, Psalm 19, verse 7, and Psalm 119, verse 1, which is that psalm that just really emphasizes uh, God's law. And so our psalm shares with these other two in having this, this key uh, idea of the way god's wisdom is revealed it's revealed in in his law so let's talk about the law for just a moment i, I am I'm using s- several secondary resources for uh, this sermon series, and n- nearly everyone makes the point that that maybe the translation of the Hebrew word uh, Torah as law might be doing the word a little bit of an injustice. It's actually derived from a verb which means to instruct. And so when we talk about the law of the Lord on a very uh, fundamental level, we're talking about instruction from the Lord or teaching from the Lord. And, and I, I, I tend to, to agree uh, uh, a little bit. I mean, I mean law's okay, but, but let me give you three reasons why. First of all, normally when we think of the law, we immediately do what? We, we think of the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, five books of law. And again, in, in some context, that's certainly what Scripture is referring to. But then there are other places where... This word, the law, um, is, is more inclusive of all of what we might call uh, the Old Testament. Secondly, sometimes when we, when we hear the word law, we think of it as an antithesis of grace. That, that law means rule keeping and law uh, means legalism. And, and yet, you, if you can't find grace in the Old Testament, you're not reading the Old Testament. And, and so to just equate law with rule-keeping or as being the opposite of grace is to misunderstand. And, and then finally, I would want to suggest this morning that, that law, this, this word, this phrase, the law of the Lord... Is, is more than just about commands and certain things that God expects of His people. It, it also includes story. I, I mean, th- think about it. I, I mean, if, if we are going to refer uh, the law to the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Luke, Numbers, and Deuteronomy... Or as one, uh, I think it was Connie Wilson used to say in class, Deuteronomy. I have to be careful the way I say Deuteronomy these days. But think about it. I mean, Genesis is a lot narrative. And, and even in Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, where we do find a lot of God's laws or commands given to his people. There is story and there is narrative in there as well, right? And, and so this word law also includes story, narrative, history. And so when we reflect upon God's law, Yes, it certainly includes thinking about commands and things He has given to us as His people to do, but it's also reflecting upon the story and putting ourselves in God's story. I I think it's, I don't know, how long has it been, Jared, since Lamar Avenue went through the story Three years or so, three four years ago. That's about the time we went through it up at, up at Mayfair. And, and one of the points that, that we tried to make, at least at, at Mayfair, is not only understanding this redemptive story that God has for His creation, beginning with Genesis and going through the book of Revelation, or as one of my instructors at Sunset used to say, from Genesis to the maps, not only putting God's story together, but putting ourselves in that story. And so when we, when we think of, of law, let, let's not just think Pentateuch and rules and commandments. That's part of it, yes. But, but expanding our idea to also see history and story and narrative and putting ourselves in God's story. Well, what are we to do with it? What are we to do with it? The writer says that we are to meditate upon it. The the word translated meditate, and and I looked in 30-plus English translations, and every single one of them but one translated the Hebrew there as meditate. But it's, it's, really, it's really an interesting word. Uh, Robert Alter, who has translated uh, the entire Old Testament from the original Hebrew text, he says this about the verb translated meditate. He says says it, it literally means to make a low muttering sound, which is what one does with a text in a culture where there is no silent reading. Now now think about that. A a very literal kind of translation would be the the person who is blessed, the righteous person, goes through his day just muttering God's Word. Just kind of mumbling God's Word. I, I saw that illustrated a little bit. Uh, when we visited Israel back in February 2017. And at, at the Western Wall particularly, uh, especially among Orthodox Jews, there, there, there were these, these gentlemen that just kind of walked around with their head bowed, just, just mumbling, muttering. And what they were, they were reciting, they were reciting the Hebrew text of, of God's law, God's story. And in fact, that that one translation that I found, uh, the Common English Bible, reads this way. Instead of doing those things, the things the writer mentions in in verse 1, these persons love the Lord's instruction, is the way uh, the CEB translates Torah, and they recite God's instruction day and night. So, So when we think about... Uh, meditating. Altar, by the way, goes on to say, by extension, predominantly in post-biblical Hebrew, it has, this word has the sense of of what we would call to meditate, to ponder, to study, to think about, uh, to to contemplate. But it's this idea and uh, night and day, by the way, just means all the time. We, We would say 24 7. I mean, we are to be occupied with God's story, God's law, God's instruction, just thinking about it and pondering about it as we go through our day. I mean, what, what, what would our colleagues think if they saw us just kind of walking around mumbling all day, just muttering God's law, God's word, God's story? Well, that's, that's kind of the idea here. And and again in, in, in our culture it's this idea of thinking about it meditating upon it pondering have, have you ever you see this probably today best illustrated by people walking around looking at their at their cell phones you know there's this campaign about don't text and drive don't text and walk you know you you just run run up but, but but instead of instead of on the Text, we're just so caught up in meditating, pondering, thinking about God and his law and his story. You know what a difference that might make in our daily lives. Well, verse 3, this, this description of the blessed person ends with this beautiful, this beautiful metaphor of, of a person that is blessed. The person that is, is so caught up in, in God's law is, is like that tree that is, is planted, or better, replanted by streams of water. They, they've been, this tree has been taken out of a, a dry, arid place and, and replanted by, by streams of water that give life. And it produces and even prospers as it bears its fruit. Well, that's the way of the righteous. In verses 4 and 5, we find uh, the way of the unrighteous, not so the wicked. Uh, other English translations uh, say the ungodly. The, the idea there is the wicked or the ungodly. It's, it's opposite of the person of faith. And so this is the person who has no faith in God. They are, they are not members of the covenant community and the writer says they are like chaff or, or something that is, is lighter that you can just throw into the air and it just blows away. The, the metaphor suggesting um, a lack of value, uh, not, not being able to, to remain. And, and so it becomes uh, Insignificant. And because the ungodly, the unfaithful are just going to kind of blow away, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. And there you see that idea of covenant relationship and being a part of the covenant community. So the way of the righteous, verses 1 through 3, the way of the unrighteous in verses 4 and 5, And then finally, verse 6, a parting of the ways. The Lord watches over the way of the righteous. Um, Other translations, the Lord knows the way of the righteous. Uh, Alter says the idea there is God embraces the way of the righteous. However, the way of the wicked, the way of the unfaithful it leads to destruction so as as we talked about a couple of weeks ago you know to quote the the famous american philosopher Yogi Berra when you come to a fork in the road you take it now which which way are you going to take you know the way of the righteous or the way of the unrighteous so that leads us to several points to ponder from Psalm 1 as we begin our summer in the Psalms. First of all, life consists of choices. But unlike Baskin-Robbins, where you get 30 choices, you boil life down, you've got one of two. Again, the fork in the road. It's the way of the righteous, or it's the way of the unrighteous. It's the way of God or the way of the ungodly. It's it's as simple and yet as profound as that. There is no middle ground. There is no neutral ground. Life is a sharp either or. One of two choices. And so the second thing we learn from this psalm, don't be absorbed by the world Rather, absorb the Word of God. You know, you you don't walk. You don't stand. You don't come to a place where you're just sitting in this world, settled and satisfied. You, You don't let the world absorb you. Now, again, that doesn't mean that we completely remove ourselves from the world. We are to be in the world, but not of the world. And so rather than being absorbed by the world, we absorb the Word of God. You know, remembering, we're we're walking through our day just kind of muttering the story. And again, the importance of seeing ourselves in the story. Now, it dawned on me as I was looking over uh, this, this lesson early this morning Number five should have been number three. So I don't want you to fill in three and four yet, but if you're filling in blanks, you can fill in five. And I think the example of this, to to, to illustrate this, is Lot. And if you don't remember his story, go go back to Genesis 13 and 14 and read about the story of Lot. Uh, Kind of a quick synopsis. You know, Abram and Lot... Uncle, nephew. Their, their families uh, make up this, this great large clan, and God had blessed them, and they, they had grown to a capacity where it, it was just difficult living together. And so they decide uh, to part ways, and Abram, being the really good uncle, allows Lot to choose first. And Genesis 13 says Lot looks toward the fertile plain of Sodom and Gomorrah. And, man, he begins to just dream about how great that could be. And so he chooses that way, and, and off he goes with his family. And, and evidently, and, and initially, he, he places his family, and they, they begin to reside, reside outside of the city. But by the time you get to Genesis 14... They have evidently now moved within the city. And so he, he looks, he begins to walk, he begins to stand, and finally he is just sitting in the city. And so, so remember, we, you know, we know the rest of the story, right? You can remember that. And, and so using what as, as a reminder of what can happen when we are absorbed by our world. Number three, we go from five to three. A question. What preoccupies my time? We, we emphasized, or I tried to emphasize, this, this idea of meditating has to do with, with a preoccupation. And, and I, know, I know, you know, we have jobs, we have families, we, we need to rest, we need to keep recharged and re-energized, but, but the idea here is, is what is it that really motivates us? It, it's, I, I, would, I would suggest the way we spend our free time is, is maybe what really really preoccupies our time. It's kind of the, the foundational thing. And of course, the point from this psalm is being preoccupied with God's law, God's instruction, God's teaching, God's story. And back to number two, allowing it to absorb our lives. Number four, the, the metaphor of the tree that is planted and blooms, and bears fruit, and begins to prosper. I I think for for the righteous person, the person that is absorbed by by God, that that our lives are meant as we bear fruit, as as we prosper in our lives, to be a blessing to other people. Have you, ever, have you ever been out somewhere? Uh, th- this, this, happened, this happened to us last summer when we visited uh, the ancient site of Colossae. I, sh- I, I think I showed some slides back in the fall of Colossae. It's, it's, there's a sign and a mound. It, it is yet to be excavated by archaeologists. And that's where it is. There's a sign and that's it. But there were these two or three, when we stopped there to see the mound and see the sign, there were three or four of these pear trees. And before Scott could finish his lecture, everybody is over picking a pear off these trees and, and eating the prosperity of this tree. You know, we, we were blessed more by the tree than the sign. And, and I think our, our lives are to be like that. And, and so the challenge this week is be a blessing to someone. Just just go bless somebody. Now, certainly you can express words of blessing, but, but put some action behind it. I'm going to take the intern for a blizzard tomorrow. And I and I'm miles. I'm going to let you choose what flavor. And I'm going to let you choose what size. All right. You know, try to bless somebody. But because if you've been prospered, and guess what? If you're wearing the name of Jesus, you have. We are a blessed people. And, and God forbid that we are selfish with that. And, and we just keep it to ourselves, or even keep it within the walls of this facility. Let's let's go out beyond the walls and and bless others and and plant some seeds in the lives of those who don't know God, who are not a part of this covenant community like we are. How how dare us hang on to that? You know, grace received is grace given. And and so as we prosper, let's uh, allow God to use our lives Bless others. Now we can skip number five because we've covered it in number six. As the the hymnal begins (laughs) with with Psalm one, I I, I think the point is pretty clear. There will be a judgment. And, And so we can either prosper or we can perish. Either way, it will be on God's provision. Remember, life, life is, is about choices, but when you boil it all down, there are only two. And, and so just as we stood two weeks ago at the fork in the road, which way are we going to take? Are we going to take the way of God or are we going to choose the way of the ungodly? Let's stand and sing.